Welcome to the Mike Drop Sports Podcast. I am Mike Schneider, joined by my good buddy Zach Stein. What's up, Zach? Not much. Just trying to process all that football that we saw yesterday. What an unbelievable day of football. We're going to focus solely on that during this, during this week's episode. I'm Mike Schneid. You can follow me at on, follow me on Twitter at MS Schneid, M-S-S-C-H-N-E-I-D. You can follow Zach at ZStein87. He's got a couple of takes here and there, but he mostly is your guy to go to for gambling. Check out the site, MikeDropSports.com. Make sure you subscribe to the Mike Drop Daily for all your and recaps from the previous day, some highlights and memorable moments, and yesterday was just full of memorable moments, wasn't it? I am still in shock a little bit. After the the Pats game, I think I sat in silence for about 20 minutes just trying to process both of those games just because there were incredible moments for almost all four teams. And obviously some controversial moments in each of the games. So it was a lot to take in. But man, were we spoiled yesterday with some great football. Absolutely. And we're filming and we're recording this just about 24 hours afterwards. So we've certainly had some time to to process, to comprehend, as has everybody else. A day filled with heartbreak, comebacks, legends, um, just it, the, the day had everything. And we're also we're recording this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And the first thought that I have is I have a dream. And it's a dream that the Patriots don't make the Super Bowl. One of these days it's going to happen. Even if it's 2030. One of these days it's going to happen. I just, it, it's amazing. <laughs> that was just one of the things where I was in shock. It was watching that overtime drive by Brady, those three awesome third and longs, just converting them to Edelman twice and Gronkowski once, and just watching this greatness. And it's like, I, I don't feel like I, need, I should be shocked anymore, but I was just watching there, shocked and stunned of how dominant and how great those throws were by Tom Brady. And again, they're back in the Super Bowl. It's, it really is unbelievable. He really is the greatest. And we'll get to the Patriots in a little bit. But Saints-Rams was the first game yesterday, so we'll start with that first. And, again, there's, just, there's so much to process, and there's so much to go through. I'm not even sure where you start. But I guess we'll start with the, you know, the phantom pass interference or the pass interference that wasn't. I'm not ever a proponent of blaming the refs. Uh, I don't know what your take is on this. I, I would love to hear it, but I never want to pin a game on the refs. I, the Saints had opportunities to win before and afterwards, but what do you think? I agree. I mean, it, it's very hard to blame officials you know, for a game, especially because I think there were some bad calls both ways. But I think this was – this will go down – as maybe the most famous missed call in NFL history. I think there's going to be some rule changes going forward. I wouldn't be shocked if next year we are going to be able to challenge pass interference calls because of this play. So I really do believe that that missed call is going to change the NFL for, for good in, in a good way. I think plays like that should be reviewed because it's just so blatant that that was pass interference. But, again, it's 
you know, it's very hard to blame the official because, you know, it goes to overtime and Drew Brees still throws an interception. And so the Saints had their chances and they and they blew it. Yeah, and, you know, so much has been made of that interception. I mean, his arm was hit. It wasn't that it was a bad throw. I right. feel like people are kind of missing the point on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the pass interference – Here's the thing with the pass interference, and you're talking about having it reviewed next year. I'm fine with that in the right circumstance. Obviously, this was a play that you wish was reviewed because it was blatantly obvious. But what I don't want to see happen is every little ticky-tack hand check gets reviewed. That's, it's going to slow down the game. It's going to ruin the game. Uh, there has to be like a, a cutoff somewhere. There has to be a level of what you get to review and what you don't. I understand that. I, I agree with that. You know, not you know those five yard holding penalties should not be reviewed, but something this magnitude, this late in the game, should be reviewed. So even if it is, you know, maybe in the final two minutes when everything is a booth review, maybe that is this is something that should get added into that just because it's such an integral part of the game and missed calls like this shouldn't have to affect on the outcomes of the game. But again, the Saints had opportunities. Their, their offense completely stalled after the first quarter. They had their chances. And at the end of the day, the, did the ref blow that call? Yes. But the Saints blew many opportunities outside of that, income, uh, out of that instance. So it's, it's, there's so many levels going on with this. Yeah, you know, I'd say that they stalled in the first quarter too because they went up 13 nothing. Yep. But they were in a position to score a touchdown. I mean, they could have gone up 21 nothing right off the bat and really buried the Rams. But even you know, being up 13 nothing at home with how loud that dome was, I mean, they never put them away. And then, you know, the pass interference happened, and that sucked. And I, I think the timing of it, obviously, is what magnifies it, obviously. But, you know, they still hit the field goal. And you have to stop them. That's what it comes down to, to me, is don't let, don't put the Rams into a position to kick that game-tying field goal, and then you get to overtime, you get the ball first, and the Rams won it on a 57-yard field goal. I mean, that's amazing. But right. don't put them in that position. Right, exactly. It's really as simple as that, to me. I agree. And then, so here's a question, and this has kind of gotten overlooked today with, you know, with the media and with ESPN because the Rams ended up winning. But the Rams had the ball five minutes to go. It was fourth and goal from the one. Sean McVay chose to kick the field goal, and for once, he actually played it safe. What would you have done in that scenario? It, it was funny. I actually was talking with some friends, live chatting the game, and I put it in there. I go, do you go for this? And I have a really good friend who is – Loves to nickpick coaches on going on punting on fourth and one or kicking on fourth and one in inches. Uh, and he mentioned that that was maybe the toughest coaching decision he's ever seen in the instance of do you kick or do you go for it? So I was mentioning that they probably should have gone for it. You're on the road against the Saints, you're the underdog. I think you should always try to take advantage of it. But at the end of the day, kicking it, you know, put them in the position of where. They're now in the Super Bowl, so can't really. I, I don't know if you really should go back and look at this anymore. 
That's fair. I mean, I said at the time that they should kick it. I had still strongly believed that they should have kicked it. If you go for it and you miss, there's a good chance with five minutes left you're not getting the ball back and your season ends. Right. I, I like the fact that McVay played it safe. I know it It sort of raised some eyebrows, but in my opinion, at least, it was the right decision. What I'm not sure was the right decision was the usage of Todd Gurley. That, to me, was a little bizarre. I have no answers for this because if you, if you were to tell me, I would say he's not healthy. And he probably isn't healthy, but he even went on the record after the game and said, I'm healthy. I just got outplayed by a guy who was signed a month ago sitting on the couch. So I just don't get it. This guy is an MVP candidate, like the best running back in the league, and he had four carries. And C.J. Anderson had 15, 16, 17, something in that range. And it, it makes no sense to me. I mean, they're lucky that they were able to come out with a win with just the, the lack of girly usage. And they got the win because of Jared Goff. Not because of the refs, right. but because of Jared Goff. I'm so unbelievably impressed. There were times watching them this season. Actually, the Cowboys game last week was a great example of this, where I felt Goff was a good quarterback, but he was a great Rams system quarterback that you could almost plug in very similar quarterbacks with Goff's skill set and get the same results. Right. I'm now fully convinced after yesterday that he's not a system quarterback. He's a really good quarterback in the NFL period. He could play under any coach, any team and have success. I agree. I think he's very much mature from his uh, freshman year, you know, two years ago when he was with Jeff Fisher was that coach. So, Obviously, you know, you take out a very mediocre coach and then you install this offensive genius, Sean McVay. I think that was the confidence that he's needed. Someone was able to trust him to go out and make these plays. And you still got to go make the throws. And this guy made the throws. That makes him a great NFL quarterback, not a great, you know, system quarterback. So I, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm a believer. I mean, I wouldn't have – I would have thought the Saints were going to come out of that game with a win. Yeah, you would have had to. I would have had to seen it to believe it that the Rams would go into New Orleans and win. And now I've seen it, and I'm a believer. The Rams are real. Absolutely, they really. I mean, they were very impressive, and the defense was impressive too. I know they got the interception in overtime. I know it was tipped, but you know they were able to knock down balls all day. They put pressure on Breeze. The running game did absolutely nothing yep. for the Saints, and they limited Michael Thomas to 36 yards receiving. So they couldn't stop Alvin Kamara from catching the ball. I think he had close to 45 catches in that game. <laughs> but, you know, give the Rams all the credit in the world. Say what you want about the refs. The refs did screw the Saints, and it should have been pass interference. But the Saints also should have won in a multiple number of ways. Yeah, I mean, after that, that first quarter when it was 13 nothing, I wrote off the Rams of the – the crowd noise was crazy. It was chaos at the line of scrimmage on offense for the Rams. You had tight ends talking to O-linemen, O-linemen talking to other linemen, not knowing anything what was going on. Goff had headset issues early on. It looked they, – they were dead to rights, and you got to give props to the Rams. They, they battled back. Their defense stopped the Saints after that first quarter, mid, midway for the first quarter, and they just took – the opportunities that were given to them, and they were the better team for majority of that game. They really were. And last week we were talking about coaches, and I had mentioned, you know, Sean McVay. Everyone wants the next Sean McVay. 
and I wrote about this too last week, that I wanted to see Sean McVay accomplish something before you go out and get the next Sean McVay. And clearly, he's proven everything. He's accomplished something. He's gotten this young team to the Super Bowl. And by all means, now everyone can go hire the next Sean McVay because this version of Sean McVay has proven that he is a very, very good to great coach. Right. And now he gets his toughest test yet. Got to go beat Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. And it's, it really is just unbelievable. Nine Super Bowls between the two of them, nine of the last 18. And this run all started, it's perfect symmetry. This run all started 18 years ago against the Rams. It really is amazing. I mean, I was, I was rooting for the Patriots. I love watching Tom Brady. I'm a huge Brady guy, huge Belichick guy, living in Boston for four years. I really embraced that culture. For, you know, the Patriots, they, they're beloved there. It's been fun. I was there for the Deflategate suspension. So, like, I get the us-against-the-world mentality with the Patriots. So, for me, you know, the Vikings are already out of it. I like seeing dominance. It, this is such a crazy, unique dynasty that's lasted for 18 years now, and it's so impressive. And anytime you count these guys out, they just go and just say, screw Screw you guys, we're still the best, and you and they're back in the Super Bowl. It's it's really is amazing. It's clockwork. Belichick Brady Super Bowl. It's that's what it is. And yeah, and I, I agree with all that. I mean, there's so much hatred for the Patriots and so much bitterness and jealousy on Brady and Belichick. And look, I fall into that category. I, you can say I hate them, but it's jealousy. I'm sick of it. I just I want to watch somebody else and I want to talk about somebody else for the next two weeks. But you have to respect what they've done. I truly believe that Brady's the best ever, and I believe that Bill Belichick is the best ever. I mean, say what you want and hate them all you want, but there's not a whole lot you could say that's actually hateful towards these guys. No, they just go about their business and they take care of business year in and year out. It's just really phenomenal. Uh, They're so dominant just over this long period of stretch. I feel like it's so unique, like, it's almost like Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls with their six championships. They're, they're, you know, three, they're two different, uh, you know, back to back to backs that they had. It's that kind of dominance that we've been seeing. And it's even harder in football just because of health. And honestly, they probably missed out on a different Super Bowl because Tom Brady was out for a season, one of the years where Matt Castle came in for him. And so it's like, it's just amazing that, Brady at this age, they've got Gronk who's sort of deteriorated. There's really no flashy playmaker on offense. You have James White, Chris Hogan, Philip Dorsett, Julian Elements, who's amazing. But there's no star talent there, and they just keep going out there and just delivering. It really is impressive. Absolutely. It's every year. There is no – you know, when they went 16-0, they had Randy Moss. They've had flashy guys throughout right. the years, but there's no flash to this team. There hasn't been for the last few Super Bowl runs. I, I mean, outside of Gronk, I guess, there's really no flash. Right. It's just pure quality football. And I would argue that we could be a few years away from saying that Sonny Michelle is a star because he's been unbelievable through the two postseason games. And in a post-Brady world, Patriots might still be successful because of their run game. I agree. And I think that's what makes the Patriots so dominant is when they have a run game like this, Obviously, they have a great scat back in James White, Dion Lewis in the past years, 
and Rex Burkhead. But having that ground game has been where the Patriots have been so scary because it takes the ball out of Brady's hands. Even though he did throw the ball 45 times, but they also were able to run it 50 times almost last game. So they took Mahomes and the scariest offense in the NFL off the field because they were able to dominate the run game and run the clock. And that makes them scary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, it's amazing how they continue to evolve their offense. And I want to get to the game in a second, but, you know, a fun thing about the Rams and the Patriots, the rematch 18 years later, since 2002, obviously the Patriots have had one coach, Bill Belichick, one primary starting quarterback in Brady, but they've had four guys start a quarterback. Do you know how many have started for the Rams in the last 18 years? Um, it's got to be double digits, right? 20 different starting quarterbacks, five primary starters. They've had Warner, Mark Bulger, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, and now Jared Goff. If you include interims, they've had eight total head coaches and two different cities. It's wild. While the Patriots have had Brady and Belichick this whole time and have been to nine Super Bowls. Just amazing. But one of the, one of the big things coming out of this game was the fact that Brady did get the ball first and marched the Patriots down the field. An unbelievably impressive 13-play, 75-yard drive, and the MVP never got the football. What are your thoughts on that, on overtime in general in the NFL? Right, and this is I've been talking about this a lot today with some friends, and I'm on now the side where I know it hasn't been an issue. There have been people who brought it up, but I think the other team, if you go down and score a touchdown, I think the other team deserves to have a chance at the ball. In every other sport in overtime, there is no sudden death. In baseball, the away team gets the bat first. If they score, the home team has a chance to answer and continue the game. In soccer, you have extra time, and there's no golden goal or anything like that. You get to go and play and until time's up. So if there's a goal, you have a chance to mark it. And then in college, I mean, even in college football, it's you have the ball in overtime. If you score, they, the other team has a chance to come and match you. And then in basketball and overtime, you play until the game is done. So I honestly think, you know, it, we almost got robbed of this game even turning into one of the greatest games ever because we didn't have that opportunity for Mahomes to get the ball back and try to tie the game up. I mean, yeah, as a fan, obviously I wish Mahomes had gotten his chance. I would have loved to see what they could do. But, you know, I just – I believe the rule is what it is. I'm okay with how – NFL overtime is laid out. The Patriots march down the field for 13 plays. Stop them. I mean, if you want the ball, go get the ball. Go force a fumble. Go get an interception. Go stop them. I used to play my friends in Madden all the time, and I would get so mad when they would throw the ball deep on third down when I was trying to get the ball back. And my friend's response was always, if you, want to stop, if you don't want me to do that, do something about it. Stop me. <laughs> and he's right. And I kind of think about that now with overtime. If you don't like it, make a stop. The Chiefs had every opportunity to play defense, and Tom Brady was just too tough. Right, and I understand that philosophy. It's just I, – I just don't know if – you know, and I know that the math comes out. I don't know the exact statistics, but if you win the coin toss, I know it's not an automatic, like a huge difference in winning the game versus not winning it. But I still feel like if you win that coin toss in overtime, it's such – a momentum changer where you know you have the ball and you have the ball to go win the game if you go and score a touchdown. I just 
I just don't know if we want that coin toss to be so monumental in such a big stage. In the regular season, I can I, I, I understand maybe change like keeping the rules the way it is, but in a playoff game like this where you have Mahomes who in the end of regulation with 50 seconds left and one timeout is able to march their team up all the way there and they tie up the game. He did everything they could. And then to watch just Brady put that amazing drive together and score a touchdown and win and not have a chance to go answer. I just, I feel bad. I, I just, in that circumstance. So maybe just in the playoffs, just changing it where it is a fair shot for both teams. Yeah. And I, I could see that. It's just, I have a hard time changing the rules for the playoffs versus the regular season. And I don't know. It just to me, I guess it's just it's always been the way it's been. I mean, my counter would be go look at the Saints. Saints got the ball first at home. Right. And you know, they coughed it up. So yes, you are right. I would say I don't know what the percentage is. I'd love to look it up if I have a minute during this, but usually if you get the ball first, you're gonna score. But the Saints got the ball first and they did not score. So I don't know. I just I think you you make a stop. Um I also it just it could complicate these overtimes too. I mean, I don't want to go down this hole, but you talk about player safety. What happens if you play a five six hour game? I mean, what happens if Mahomes does tie it up, and then Brady goes, and then Mahomes? Uh, you could be going back and forth until twelve o'clock at night. I know college is the same way, but you could be going back and forth all night at that point. Uh, I understand that take, and there was even a rule that was bounced around in my chat. If you get up two scores at any point in overtime, call the game for player safety is what we were discussed. But at that point, you know, you play out, just play out a 10 minute overtime and till someone wins the game and that's it. And if it's got to go to another 10, it's got to go another 10, like college. I just feel like, you know, having a game just ending on one team winning because they got the ball first on a coin toss. I just, I feel like we could be better in the NFL. I really do. I think we could be better than that. That's fair. See, I might, I might support the idea of a full overtime quarter as opposed to sudden death, but I don't believe you know, just because the Chiefs, just because the Patriots got the ball first, now the Chiefs have to get it. And if the Chiefs don't score, they lose. I don't know. I mean, you could make the argument either way. I'm sort of okay with how it is. I feel like this issue has been magnified based on the fact that it was the Chiefs. And the fact that everybody wanted the Chiefs, everybody wanted to see Patrick Mahomes go again, and nobody wanted the Patriots to win, I think this issue has been magnified to another level today. It's very possible that that has a lot to do with it, yes. But how good, I mean, how good is Patrick Mahomes? They were shut out in the first half, and then all he does is throw 300 yards and three touchdowns in the last two quarters. That's the definition of resiliency. I know he's not a rookie because he was on the bench last year, but you know, a first-year starter to put up the numbers he did in the regular season and then obviously to win a playoff game in the first round after the bye and then to give the Patriots all that they've got after being shut out. You can easily just almost become scared because you did get shut out by the Patriots. They looked so dominant in that first quarter where the Chiefs barely even had the ball. And the kid came back and almost won the game for them. I mean, it's it was ridiculous. He... He is something special, and I hope there's no such thing as a sophomore slump for him because the way he's playing, the way that offense is built around him, he if he keeps continuing at this, I mean, we could be saying the best quarterback of all time statistically-wise. I don't know if you'll ever see another quarterback reach the amount of Super Bowl that Brady did. 
but this kid has it, and he's special. I agree. I mean, I love watching him play. The things that he does, nobody else, with all due respect to Brady and Rodgers, the things Mahomes does, nobody else can do. So it's so much fun watching him. And, I mean, it helps that he has weapons. Sammy Watkins broke out yesterday with 114 yards. You got Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill, I don't know where he was yesterday. He only had one catch. Um, it certainly helps Mahomes' cause that he has so many weapons. But one question I have for you is, you know, the Chiefs running attack. Damian Williams had three total touchdowns yesterday. He only had 10 catches. It was amazing for the last few games of the season. So the question is, how does the performance of Damian Williams and a guy like C.J. Anderson impact Bell in your mind going forward in free agency? I personally have called Le'Veon Bell an idiot uh, <laughs> for the way he's gone about this. I think, you know, I understand wanting long-term value. I understand wanting safety of a four- or five-year contract. But if the Steelers are offering you what the $20 million for the franchise tag or whatever it was this year, you take it, you play, you trust yourself, you trust all the line, you stay healthy, and then you go get a, a long, you go get a contract afterwards. You take the money. But obviously, as the running back position sort of been watered down lately, absolutely. You're drafting guys now in the fourth round like Alvin Kamara. You're Obviously, you've hit these amazing guys like Saquon Barkley in the first round, but these running backs are coming out of nowhere and they're producing at a high level. And then I'm also a very firm believer out of most cases, it's the running back is built behind the offensive line. If you have a good offensive line, you can plug in any running back there. I think Le'Veon Bell has that other skill set where he's a lethal re receiver as well. So I think that makes him a little bit more unique and more valuable to offenses. But just in terms of running the ball, I, he's lost a ton of value in the open market. Yeah, I agree. And I do agree that it's all about the offensive line. I mean, there are some exceptions. I think having watched Saquon Barkley a lot this year, he's one of those exceptions. He's just really special and can make things happen. Le'Veon Bell can make things happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you look at guys like Williams and Anderson and then Philip Lindsay going undrafted, Although the season that James Conner had replacing Le'Veon Bell, I if I'm if I need a running back this offseason, I'm not throwing my money at Le'Veon Bell. Looking at the Jets, looking at the Raiders, I'm not. No. There's other positions of need, and there's other guys you can get. You can go draft somebody in the second or third round. I'd rather have David Montgomery out of Iowa State in the third round or second round than Le'Veon Bell for sixty mil. Right, I agree. Now for a team that made the playoffs this year or just missed the playoffs due to injuries. I think that is a team that makes more sense for Le'Veon Bell because you know what you're getting versus maybe drafting someone late and hoping he pops off. But again, for a team that's trying to rebuild and then just spend all that money on a guy like Le'Veon Bell, that's not going to change anything. The other Giants, they were, they were pathetic this year, even with Saquon Barkley putting, putting up ridiculous numbers every week. It's a guy and a guy like that does not change it overnight. Where if you want to spend that much money, you can spread that around between two to three different positions of need and really make a change. Whereas maybe the Colts, who just came up short, adding a guy like Lev Bell to them or the Chiefs next year, if they want to add Lev Bell as just an extra weapon, that makes more sense to me. The Chiefs were a team that I thought about for a long time, but 
having watched yesterday, I think they're better off just, you know, putting all of their money towards defense. Right. And I, that makes sense because now that was the thing with the Chiefs is their offense is perfect. They're, I think the lowest amount of points that they scored this whole year was 31. So no one the, – they never lost because they weren't able to score. They've lost because they couldn't make enough stops. So I agree for a team if they are considering Le'Veon Bell, think about maybe getting a couple extra guys on that D-line, maybe getting an impact linebacker or a shutdown corner. I actually think the Ravens would be a really good fit. They have a really good defense. There's not a ton of holes throughout that team, and they have a running-oriented offense with, with Lamar Jackson. That would make sense, especially with Lamar Jackson, with maybe an option-type offense that they were running with him, to have a guy who can spread out wide a little bit and then dump all these like short passes and slam passes them. That does make sense. Another very good team based on that defense where you want a guy who can catch the ball and run the ball and keep the clock running to – and because that, that's the success for the Ravens. So that makes sense to me too. Yeah. And then, so back to this, so back to the Patriots Chiefs and looking ahead at the Super Bowl. It's a CBS Super Bowl, which means Tony Romo will be the, be the announcer. Insert your, insert your Tony Romo finally makes the Super Bowl jokes. I, I'm already sick of hearing them. We still have 13 days. But how good is he as an announcer? I mean, how, how exciting is he to watch? It to listen is. To? Honestly, I made it almost a habit to turn off Red Zone during this year for the late CBS games just to listen to Romo. Uh, I've been watching football since I was 10 years old in fourth grade, and I've accumulated a lot of knowledge over those years just watching as a fan. And, and, but listening to Romo this year, I've learned so much about the sport and play calling just because of his knowledge. And it is an absolute joy to hear him call a game. And it's so refreshing because in an age where there's so much different kind of announcing teams, I feel like they all get shit on a little bit. This is a guy where it's, it's almost must watch because of how good he is at announcing games. I, I love it. I mean, some people, there's still some people that hate him calling the plays beforehand, but you're right. I mean, he's so knowledgeable. He knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And it's just different. It's really cool to listen to as a football fan like me and you who we want to be educated. I mean, yeah, it's entertaining, but I love to learn about football. And I feel like I have learned so much from listening to him. Right. I mean, just for an example, it was in that overtime drive where it was right before the, the game-winning touchdown where they're at the line and you were thinking maybe Brady was going to sneak it and – then Brady goes up to the line and does the audible. And then you have Romo exactly giving out the two options that they're going to be looking at. And he called the play perfectly. And it was the game winning score. And it's just, and it's amazing because you want to know what's going on when a quarterback is going up to the line to audible. You understand what's happening, but the thought process behind it that Romo has the knowledge of because he was such a good quarterback and a good audible caller as well at the line, it, it just makes it, such a unique viewing experience and it's, it's a joy to listen to absolutely and you mentioned he was a good audible caller when he was a quarterback and that kind of brings me to a point that i wanted to make about the cowboys they're looking for an offensive coordinator scott linehan was fired after five years last week he was actually the oc oc with romo still 
And Romo checked out at about 80% of the plays. They hated each other because he called such predictable plays. And Romo constantly checked at the line and made those changes. Now there's a lot of people on Cowboys Twitter that want Romo to be the new offensive coordinator. And I'm going to say this one time for any Cowboy fans that are listening. It will never, ever, 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 ever happen. He has the greatest job in the world, Romo. The best job. He's on the road for two days. I, I would assume he gets to the site on a Saturday afternoon. He's there to do the prep work. He works on Sunday. He's home Monday morning. And he's got three young kids all under, I think, five and six years old. He gets to spend all week with his wife and kids in his mansion in Dallas. And he'll take his calls from, from home, do all of his prep work from home, and then he shows up on Saturday. And he makes $5 million to do all of that. Why on earth would a guy with three young kids want to be on the road nonstop, working 20 hours a day, doing all this prep work? It's not ever going to happen. No, it really is a great job. It's, it's amazing. You nailed it. He's, he works two days a week with a little prep work at a home, and there's no stress. He clearly enjoys it. You can hear the joy in his voice when he calls the game. He loves it, and it makes it such a fun viewing experience for the fans. There, there's no point for him to go back and take that stress. Do I think he could be successful at it, the way he's able to break down you know, the offensive schemes of what they're doing. Absolutely, I think he'd be successful at it. But there is no point for him to be the best job in the world. Well, the funny thing is everyone wants him to be the offensive coordinator. I think he'd be, be better as a defensive coach because clearly he knows what the offense is doing. Right. But at that <laughs> point, I was actually thinking about this. And it, and it does make sense. He was able to call <laughs> all those plays. But with how quick the defensive is, like, do you, what do you want him to do? Call a timeout and then just redo the play? Like, you can't automatically just shift the defense because of an audible call. It's so hard. Like, what are you going to do? Like, yell? Like, I understand that there's <laughs> a middle linebacker with a mic in there, too. But it, it's very hard for a defense to make those kind of shifts. And that's why quarterbacks who are able to go up to the line and audible out of it, that's why it's such a successful play. Because it you're looking at what the defense is giving you. And you're making a change on how you can run a successful play against it. No, definitely. I, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's funny to think of him as a defensive coach, but of course it's not as easy as it sounds. So it'll be a lot of fun to listen to him call the Super Bowl. What are your initial thoughts on the game? We can get much more into this next week when we're a week away, but some initial thoughts. Boston, L.A. I don't even know the last time we had a Boston, L.A. championship, right? <laughs> what, is that a joke or? <laughs> <laughs> Not a few months ago, right? LA it's been a few is, months. I can tell you one thing. L.A. is chomping at the bits to get revenge on Boston. Boston, L.A., heated rivalry. It's amazing that it comes down to this. But I, I'm going to say this. As good as the Rams are and the, the players absolutely deserve to be there, they're a great team. The city of Los Angeles does not deserve a team in the Super Bowl. They are. I have friends who are who got into being fans of theirs, but because they were just fantasy football fans waiting for a team to come to L.A., and they just – no one – L.A. is not a football culture team. That's why teams have not been able to stick here. The fact that NFL put two teams in L.A. is an absolute disgrace. It makes me sick. 
and I just <laughs> and this is coming from an LA and guy. I am from LA. I, I get this. It is not in the, uh, LA is not a football town. We are not a tailgate town. We just do not have that football culture. We're too laid back. We're a baseball and basketball town, not football. Football's never worked, and they still can't get the stadiums for these two teams up and running. It's just it's a mess. And LA fans do not deserve a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Go pass. It's funny that you say that. So I was with one of my wife's best friends yesterday who's a big Rams fan. She's actually a season ticket holder. And I said to her at night, you know, congratulations to you and all the long-suffering Rams fans. Must be nice to watch football for five minutes and play in a championship. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really is. This is one of all due respect to both cities. I have a ton of friends in both, and I'm, I'm sure they're listening, and I'm sure I'm going to hear it from them. This is the worst fan Super Bowl of all time. You got the team that's been there eight, nine times in 18 years. And like you said, the city that never really had a football fan base. Right. So I'm curious. I mean, I'm curious to see who's even at this game. I went to the Super Bowl last year and it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, the Philly fans that were there were just so passionate. They were crying. I mean, they were so into the whole weekend and you knew how much it meant to them. Because they had never won it. I mean, they'd been there, I guess, one other time. So for the Rams fans that are new to L.A. football, I mean, how much could it honestly really mean to you? It's, it's, it's so hard to explain it. Because I, just growing up and just being able to tell you from my fanhood of how I became a Vikings fan, it's because I wanted to get into football. I wanted to have someone to root for. And in fourth grade, fantasy football really wasn't a thing. So, you know, there wasn't fantasy teams. So I had to cling to a team and I clung to Randy Moss and the Vikings. And then I had friends who did the same thing to other teams. They, I mean, some of them were Raiders fans or Chargers fans because, yes, that were the closest teams to us. I had a, you know, and then I've had friends who went away from college and they never had a team, but then they became a fan of that team that they were in so like i had a friend who went to washington he became a huge seahawks fan understandable never had a team really to root for growing up and then surrounded by that team was there during their super bowl win so it's like people are able to find different teams and then just to be gifted a team that you don't care about you only cared about fantasy football for the last 10 years and then you're just gifted a super bowl how much can this really mean to you you haven't felt the losses you haven't experienced the pain that vikings and Saints fans and Cowboys fans have had to endure all these years of just getting so close and losing in just cruel ways. And now you just get to go to a Super Bowl. I hate it. It, it, it infuriates. <laughs> no, I think, and that spot on. I mean, that's my issue is, you know, and, and talking to my friend last night, I've been a sports fan for 30 years, like you have, and, you know, nothing good has ever happened. So for someone to be a Rams fan for five minutes and get a Super Bowl, you know, some of my wife's friends went to Loyola, Chicago, and they went to the Final Four last year. Cincinnati had one of the best teams. So it, it blows my mind that things like this actually do happen. Um, and it's the crazy thing to me is that it's two fan bases that may or may not be deserving. And then you look at the other side of it, the Saints lost and – they have one of the most passionate fan bases in all of sports. The city, the whole city is absolutely obsessed with football and with the Saints. 
and then you have a Chiefs team that hasn't been to the Super Bowl in 49 years. Right. So it just it makes it more heartbreaking. But your thoughts on a very quick prediction. I won't hold you to this. We'll get more into it next week. But what are your thoughts going into the game? I just think Belichick, they want revenge after last year's Super Bowl. They're, they're going to come out. They're so determined because everyone truly counted them out this year. And the last time they counted out people was the deflate gate year where Brady was suspended four years and they looked flat a little bit. Or maybe that was the year before. And then, but every time they're counted out, they do come through and win it all. But may, maybe being that confident and which is how good Sean McVay is, would it shock me if the Rams win? No, they're a very, very good team with a good defense. But right now, with just how dominant the Patriots look, I, I just don't know if you can count them out right now. I agree. I'm going with the Patriots. It's Julian Edelman said it all week, don't bet against us. Tom Brady posted a video of him and Gronkowski last night to the lyrics of, we ain't going nowhere. It's hard to bet against them. I'm rooting for the Rams. I think 99% of America is rooting for the Rams. <laughs> but you got to... You got to take the Patriots. Yeah, they're just, they're so motivated. And when the best coach and the best quarterback are this motivated, that is a very scary combo. And that combo just went into Kansas City, a very hostile environment with fans against the number one offense in the country and outplayed them and pretty much dominated them. It was a full domination for the most part. Yes, the Chiefs looked very unstoppable in that fourth quarter. But for 95% of that game, the Patriots absolutely dominated. You can look at the box score. They had twice as many plays, twice as many first downs, twice as many yards. And then Brady had that ridiculous drive in OT. They absolutely dominated the best statistical team in the NFL this year. And I just don't know if the Rams are ready for that. Do you think – and here's my final, my final little thought here. Do you think Brady and Belichick are the best ever at their respective jobs? I, I absolutely agree. It's absolutely ridiculous. The only thing that now comes even close to this is just LeBron and his reign in the, in, in the Eastern Conference where he was going to the finals every year. Like That is basically similar to Brady and Belichick. It is pure dominance of continuing to get there as you age, as people continue to count you out. And being able to deliver, that's what makes you the greatest of all time. So if the Patriots lose, that means nothing to you as far as legacies and greatest of all time goes. It's not easy to win a Super Bowl. If it was, we wouldn't be talking about the Kansas City Chiefs who have had really good teams over the past years, haven't been to one in 49 years. This is not an easy game. They're, the Rams are there for a reason. The Eagles were there for a reason last year when they lose. The Giants were there for reasons when they beat the, the Patriots and those Super Bowls. Like, the, there are reasons why they lose, and, but to, it's just a one-game thing. To get there consistently, like they have, they've won a bunch. It, it doesn't matter win or lose. They are going down as the greatest of all time. I think they're going to add another win to their belt, though. I, I agree with all of that. I mean, yeah, if you go to nine Super Bowls, you're the best. It doesn't matter. It's like LeBron. LeBron's three and six in the NBA Finals, but I still think he's the second best player of all time. I mean, the record is what it is. It's not, you know, they lost two flukish Super Bowls and right, maybe three. Nick Foles is just a giant fluke, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll make it number six this week. Yeah, I, I just what they're just so motivated this year. They they've completely changed their offense this year. They're just dominating by running the game. They're just Julie Alderman does not seem like he can be stopped right now. He's making big catch on third down after third down. It's amazing, and it's just they're ready to go. And it and look at Gronk. He finally had the best game of his year. So maybe bubble wrapping him all year where now he's fresh is going to really come back and help the Patriots because he was a big part of that offense uh, last night. And I'd imagine he's going to have a very big game and I'm going to predict it's going to be his last game ever in the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah, that was actually, I was going to make one more point, one more question and ask what you thought. I agree with that too. I think, especially if the Patriots win, I mean, win or lose, I think it's the end, but you know, especially if they win, I think Gronk goes out. I do think he goes out on a high note. I think he scores two touchdowns. I don't know how many catches he'll have. I don't know if he has it in his body at this point to catch more than two, more than a couple passes, but he'll catch two touchdowns and he'll go out a winner. I think so. It's just he he's like my third favorite player of all time, and you could just noticeably tell just how his body has just declined this year, and it was just sad. The speed was gone. The power was gone. Um, but then for him to go out and make that huge catch in overtime just was awesome to see. Um, and then I, I'm excited for him to go get another Super Bowl and, I, and, I, and probably his last game ever, which is awesome. I agree that it's sad, especially when you use the second-round pick in fantasy on him. <laughs> I've wanted him for a decade. I finally get him, and it's the end of his career. What a shame. But any final thoughts on this round of games and on the Super Bowl? Uh, I, I, I'm honestly still trying to process a little bit of what we, <laughs> what we saw. Like, obviously, I, I am a huge proponent on hating kickers. I hate kickers. But that <laughs> Burline kick yesterday to win the game, the 57-yarder, was one of the best kicks I've ever seen. And so props to the kickers for proving me wrong. I definitely think they need to get eliminated from fantasy football. But that's a different topic down the road. I agree. We'll save that topic for August and September. Yeah. But I agree that we should eliminate kickers. That kick would have been good from 70. It that was, kick was unbelievable. It was good. You know, my wife kept saying, though, why is he not being interviewed? They were interviewing Jared Goff and Aaron Donald on the field. Where was their line? I mean, he was the hero of that That's game. That's the problem with kickers, and God bless them. They go and win a game. Yeah, they're going to be a hero in the locker room. I don't believe that for a second. He was probably, I mean, he was mobbed when he made it on the field. I'm sure he was mobbed in the locker room. Uh, but, yeah, again, paper, it's, it's Goff wins the game. McVay's a genius. But then if he missed that kick, it's front row in the pages. Zerline misses his kick to, to send Rams to the Super Bowl. So it, and it's tough to meanwhile, Co- And Cody Parkey goes on Good Morning America to apologize after what happened with the Bears. Where's Greg Zerline? Is he going on Good Morning America? Nope. Is he going to be on the Today Show this week? He might. I no. don't know. He might. Just the way that. I mean, with L.A. and all the news shows that they have out there, I, I don't know. I mean, they've got the week off. He's the, it doesn't take much to just practice, you know, 100 kicks every single day. He's got a bunch of time on his hands. <laughs> My last thought on this is I know that there's a lot of NFC South fans that are happy that the Saints lost. I, I like the Saints. I like Sean Payton. I didn't realize until the last month or so how overly obnoxious this team is. They did the thing with the ski masks last week with, to the Eagles. Eagles never did anything to the Saints. So I thought that was weird. 
Um, you know, the way that they dance, they have nightclubs in their locker room, it looks like. So I know I just want to say congrats to the city of Atlanta. I know how happy the Falcons fans are that they don't have to host the Saints and their fans this week. They do have to put up with the Patriots and the 28-3 to jokes. So there's that, but at least there's not – you're not getting it from both ends. Right. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Mike Schneid. Zach Stein, follow – you can follow Zach on Twitter at ZStein87. Lots of fun Super Bowl and football takes, college basketball, a lot of gambling and betting advice he has for you. You can follow me at MS Schneid and check out the Instagram at MyDropSports. Check out the website, MyDropSports.com. And thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. And then one last thing. I do appreciate everyone who listened last week. We got a lot of tons of positive feedback. We really appreciate all the listeners, and we uh, take all the feedback to heart. Yes, thank you. We had a record number of listeners. I guess people didn't want to listen to me talk by myself. Obviously, Zach was a huge deal. So thanks. Keep listening. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, and talk to you next week. Yep, have a good week.